continue in our series of messages from the Gospel of Mark, Walking with Jesus. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, it's crazy how relevant these passages are in view of the current events surrounding COVID-19. So I invite you to take your Bibles uh, and turn with me this morning to Mark chapter 14. The word should be there on the bottom of the screen as I read it for you. But it's always good to just have your finger in your own Bible and to be able to refer back to some of the things that I will make reference to as uh, we go through this passage. But let me just read it for us this morning. It was now two days before Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were still looking for an opportunity to capture Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the Passover celebration, they agreed, or the people may riot. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, Leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priests to arrange to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted when they heard why he had come, and they promised to give him money. So he began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. The word of the Lord. Last fall, Tina and I had an opportunity to visit the city of Boston with some friends. I know some of you have been there because we've talked about our shared experience there. It's a fascinating and beautiful city. It's probably become one of my uh, favorite uh, visits and vacations that I've ever had. And uh, lots of history. It's very walkable. It's just a fascinating place. And one night we were walking around the area of Beacon Hill, which if you're familiar with Boston, you've just placed yourself there. If you're a fan of the Cheers uh, sitcom, uh, Cheers is located in the Beacon Hill area of Boston. And uh, there's also many homes in that area. They're, they're called brownstones, old, historic, and beautiful row houses or townhouses uh, in this part of the city. And from the outside, though, they all kind of look the same. Brown brick, hence the name, brownstones. But inside, some of them were stunningly beautiful. Because it was dark outside, and if someone had light on on the inside, you could see right in if the curtains were open. You could see the the decor and the decorations and how things were arranged in terms of the home. Now, some in our group, who shall remain anonymous at this time, were a little bolder than others, and they would sometimes creep up the steps just to peer uh, right in and get a good close look. But it was because of this darkness on the outside that allowed us to see the beauty on the inside. We have seen in our studies so far that Mark, the writer of Mark's gospel, is a master writer. 
He's descriptive when he needs to be, but he's also short and to the point at other times. It's the shortest of the four Gospels. But he's very effective in how he records the life of Jesus. And this is something that we see here in these 11 verses. Because in verses 1 and 2, they really excuse me, describe the darkness of the events that were taking place and about to take place. Mark tells us that it was just two days before the Passover celebration. And the religious people were were still looking for a way to kill Jesus. Now this isn't anything new because if you go all the way back to chapter 3 already, Jesus had already upset the religious establishment. And even then they started to plot as to how they were going to kill Jesus. But now they're smart enough and sly enough that they wanted to do this secretly so that no one would know. I mean, if you're going to engage in developing a murderous plot, you probably want to keep that pretty secret. And since it was the Passover and Jerusalem was overflowing with visitors, they were afraid that if they killed him in a a city where, where it was crowded and there was tension, that people might riot. That's the first two verses. Then if you look at the last two verses, verses 10 and 11, you'll discover more darkness. And there Mark tells us that Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went and he arranged to betray Jesus. And of course, the religious leaders were delighted with this information. And why not? They had been asking people to tell them where Jesus was, and now somebody was coming to them and offering to expose him, to turn him over. An insider, nonetheless that would do it when the time was just right. Now this darkness in verses 1 and 2 and the darkness in verses 10 and 11 really serve as bookends to the light in the middle. On one end, you have the scheming and plotting and a desire to kill, but it had to be kept on the down low so that people wouldn't riot. And the potential for chaos was very real. And on the other hand, you have betrayal, a promise of a payment to Judas Uh, for turning Jesus over to them, which would ultimately result in the death of Jesus. But in the middle of this darkness, we see light. We see a picture of beauty, something lavish, an act of outrageous love, an act that brings hope and light into the darkness that surrounded us. Friends, I hope that you're connecting the dots already on your own, and you don't even need me to tell you this. But that seems a little bit like the world in which we live. Chaos and panic and fear and uncertainty and economic instability and all of this stuff happening around us. And in the midst of that, I believe Jesus is calling us to live out of lives that demonstrate outrageous love in action. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we can step into this church and be light in the darkness. So let's look at verses 3 to 9 in a little more detail. And in order to that, we're just going to look at the characters of the people that are involved here. First, a a woman, and then some men, and then Jesus himself. So first, a woman. Starting in verse 3, Mark describes the scene. Jesus and his disciples, they're having dinner in the home of Simon, who we can safely assume had been healed of leprosy by Jesus himself. And perhaps this dinner was just Simon's way of, of showing appreciation. But really, maybe exactly who Simon was and why they were gathered there, it's not all that important, because what matters is what happens while they were eating. 
a woman comes into the room with a beautiful alabaster jar full of expensive perfume. And she breaks the jar and pours the perfume over the head of Jesus. Now, Mark, for some reason, keeps the woman anonymous. But from John's gospel and his record of this event, we learn that it was Mary, as in Martha and Mary, the the sisters of Lazarus. And what's significant is what she had and what she did. She had this alabaster jar. It was like a a, a bottle with a long, beautiful, like a a beautiful jar with a long, skinny neck. and, And it would be easy to pour out a drop at a time. And it was full of perfume made from nard from India. Think kind of aromatic massage oil. And it was super expensive. How expensive? Well, the writers again give us information. They say it was 300 denarii, or a denarii was equal to a day's wages at that time. And so basically, this was a year's salary. And perfume that costs that much was not that ordinary then or now. This wouldn't be something that you would have picked up at the bay. Now, interestingly enough, and I don't want to go too far down this tangent, and I don't want you to do this now because I know that nobody's watching, but I searched most expensive perfume on Google. Do it for at least a laugh tomorrow because we're going to fast from our devices. But um, it's crazy, and uh, nobody should spend that much money on anything, yet least of all perfume. But that's the point here. This perfume was so outrageously expensive, so extravagant, so opulent. A year's wages? Really? But you see, the actual value in terms of money isn't the point. It's the cost to the woman that was the real issue. This alabaster jar and the perfume inside it were very likely a family heirloom. And it was a precious piece of family history. Because there was no way that Mary would have been able to afford to buy this on her own. None of us could or should, as I said earlier. Even if we could. The point is that it would have been kept in the family. It would have only been used for very special purposes It could have been used perhaps for a dowry or perhaps to embalm a family member that had passed away. And so while it was expensive, the real cost was far greater. Because to Mary, this alabaster jar of expensive perfume was her security. This was her future. And if there was ever a time where she was really desperate, she could try to sell some of it and and have some money to live on. But she comes into the room. And she breaks the jar so that it could never be used again and and pours the entire amount. John tells us that it was about half a liter and she pours it over the head and feet of Jesus and, and, and holds nothing back. Not just a couple of drops, but the whole jar. And then once the jar was broken, it couldn't be used again. This was a complete and total sacrifice. An outrageous one at that. Does this sound familiar? Just two weeks ago, we looked at the poor widow who gave her, lost, her last two coins. She gave everything. And she didn't try to rationalize it and keep one because she had two. She gave them both. And really, that's what Mary does here. She gave it all. And there was also not just this cost 
to her security. There was also the cost to her reputation, as we see in how the men responded to this outrageous act of love. You see, most of the men in the room were the disciples, but there was also Simon the host, and John tells us that Lazarus was there as well. I mean, can you imagine the dinner conversation with him? This was the guy that had died that Jesus brought back from the dead. That would have been a pretty fascinating conversation to overhear. But John's account tells us that it was actually Judas that led the negative reaction. And Mark here says that some of those at the table were indignant. Some, but not all of them. And they tore into her. Mark says they scolded her harshly. And you have to almost picture them almost waving their little finger and sneering at her in a sense and the tone of their voice saying, you know, did you, did you just see what she did? I can't believe it. Who does she think she is? What a, what a total waste. Completely outrageous. And that's exactly the point. It was this outrageous act of love and worship on the part of Mary. Of course, some of the men try to deflect and make her look really bad. You know, that, that, that expensive perfume, that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. How rich it was for Judas, of all people, to lead the charge in those accusations. He was a liar, a cheat, a thief, and would soon become a betrayer. He didn't care about the poor. He was only thinking of himself. He was the treasurer for the group of disciples, and he was annoyed that he didn't have the opportunity to get his hands on a little more money. If anything, Judas's actions are the complete opposite of Mary's, whereas hers was a sacrificial gift of all that she had. Judas was driven by, by greed, a cold heart, tight fists, He was willing to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This character would do anything for a little cash. And he and some of the others, they had the audacity to scold Mary because she gave up her most prized possession. Why? Because of her overwhelming gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. Specifically, for Lazarus, who he brought from death to life. So we have the woman, we have the men, and then Jesus steps in, and he defends Mary's actions. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me, he asks. Some translations say a beautiful thing. And it really was beautiful, extravagant, outrageous. Jesus praises her for what she did. And in doing so, he unmasked the hypocrisy of some of the men, particularly Judas, by reminding them that they will always have an obligation to care for the poor, but this was a one-time act, one-time opportunity that needed to be done, and Mary was sensitive to that. She heard the whispers of the Spirit say, do this, and she acted upon it. In verse 8, Jesus says, She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. 
In other words, it was a beautiful act of love in a very dark time in the life of Jesus. He knew what was about to happen, and yet the disciples didn't clue in. And so here they are in the midst of celebrating and eating and drinking and having this good time together, and Jesus knows full well what's going on in the darkness around him. And he was once again telling them that he was going to die. And soon after this, he would be betrayed, arrested, beaten, mocked, nailed to a cross, before dying a horrible, excruciating death. And no dead body would be buried without first being anointed. And this is what Mary did. She prepared Jesus for his burial. So what does this have to do with us today? Let me simply say this. Through this one act of outrageous love, Mary did at least three things. Number one, she gave. Number two, she served. Number three, she set an example. First she gave, and she gave everything. She took what was most precious to her, this perfume that represented her security, and she just gave it all. Not just a few drops drops or half of it, but all of it. Could it be that God is challenging us to respond in those kind of extravagant, reckless, and maybe even outrageous ways of, of giving? I remember a couple of years ago, I came to the office and there was a sticker for a registered letter on the, on the office door. And that kind of intrigued me a little bit. Why would we be getting a registered letter? So I grabbed it and ran over to the post office and picked it up. And uh, as soon as I got the envelope from the lady after signing for it, I noticed right away on the top corner that it was from a law firm here in, in the city of Edmonton. Which, uh, with all due respect and my apologies to you lawyers, my mind went in dark places right away. You know, were we being sued? Was something happening? Was there some accusation? And I remember going out to the car and quickly ripping it open and very quickly realizing that it was a gift or it it was a letter describing that we were named as a church as an inheritance of, of an individual who had passed away. And this was no small amount. This was um, a, a senior lady who had taken what she had in her estate and divided small amounts up to a number of people and then split the remainder between two churches here in the city of Edmonton, us being one of them. And that gift came at a time that really pushed some momentum forward so that we could f- get across the finish line of paying off the debt of the building that we have. What a gift it was. And even just this week... We've got the remaining $8,000 as a gift um, uh, at this time where finances are, are, are a challenge for everyone. We understand that. But these kind of gifts, friends, I know that we're in uncertain times. But as a church, we are as committed as ever to the vision and mission of our church. We still want to see people passionately walking with Jesus in order to joyfully serve others. And we're going to do that by continuing to um, help people come to know Jesus. We need to be able to tell people about the hope that they can find in Jesus through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is a, a wonderful opportunity for us to be telling people why we can be calm and not have fear, even though it kind of creeps in. As Jolene said, it's true. We, get, we hit waves of that, but we get back and we ground ourselves in the truth of our relationship with God and know that he loves us and cares for us. Do not fear. So we come to know Jesus. 
We want people to learn how to, to walk with Jesus, to walk in the company of others. Many of our home groups are meeting online, and, and there's great stories of people connecting through technology. And we want to be continually equipping people to share. Those things have not changed while the delivery of these ministries does. Secondly, I want to say that she served. She gave, she served. <clears throat> so she, here in this act, provided a meaningful and purposeful ministry to Jesus. She prepared him for burial. And I think she knew what was just around the corner for Jesus. So out of her own empathy and compassion, she did her part to help Jesus on his journey to the cross. So right now, as we all pause and we stay home, it it seems maybe that there isn't much we can do at times. Friends, there's so much that we can do. And I've been saying this a number of times, let's choose faith over fear and service over self. Use your hands to call or write a note or do something to encourage others. Let's get on our hands and knees before God and pray that he would, would, would intervene in this situation in a way that brings him glory and for our good. Let's seek his face. Let's move our feet and go knock on our neighbor's door. We got just a text last night from one of our neighbors saying that they're in isolation because they just returned from travel and they had a dog and wondering if we would walk the dog. Because they've, we've reached out to them to help them or asked them to help us in the past and we're just, we're just returning the favor. And so we're serving one another. Find those ways that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. There's so many ways that we motivated in the way that Mary was. Empathy and compassion to reach out to those who are in need. And lastly, she set an example. Because as Jesus finishes talking to the the men that were gathered there, in verse 9 he tells them, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed as long as the good news and the gospel is preached. And how true is that? Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we talked about what she did on that day in Simon's house. People are still talking about her. That's her legacy. Because she gave... Because she served, she set an example for us. Friends, in these challenging days, what will we be remembered for? Do our hearts overflow with gratitude as Mary's did? Will we in these dark and challenging days be the light to those around us? Will we bring hope and beauty to those that we have opportunity to come in contact with at a safe distance of six feet? As I was thinking about this, as I was thinking then about what Jesus has done for me, that he sacrificed his life to bring me from death to life. And he's done the same for many of you. You know what it means to be in Christ and to have the hope of eternity. And to know that that is only possible because he was willing to go to the cross and to give his life so that we would have life. And so I thought of the hymn when I surveyed the wondrous cross and the last verse says this, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. If everything in the world was mine and I gave that, it would be still insignificant because love so amazing so divine demands my soul 
my life, my all. And so when we give of ourselves, it's because of what Jesus gave of himself so that we could go from death to life and have hope and have joy and have beauty even when there's darkness all around. Let's pray together. Father, oh, we thank you for the example of Mary. <clears throat> we thank you for this outrageous act of love. <clears throat> Many looked at her and ridiculed her, but she didn't care. She knew her heart, and her heart was to live sacrificially. Her, lart, her heart was to have a generous spirit. Her heart was filled with empathy and compassion. Oh God, fill our hearts with those things that bring you joy. When you see your children, out of gratitude for you and out of gratitude for your faithfulness and your goodness in our lives, turn around and be a blessing and an encouragement to others, even in a dark season like right now. We thank this, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.